We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Suns podcast. The Suns are now up 2-0 on the Dallas Mavericks. Sam, how you doing? 2-0, Mike, and the Dallas Mavericks officially have a Luka Doncic problem. We can say it. <laughs> okay. We can say it in the series. It's going to be a defining narrative here. I'm ready to talk about it for the next 40 minutes if you'd like. We probably shouldn't, but I'll start here. Tremendous fourth quarter from the Phoenix Suns. At one point, yeah. this was a game. For three quarters, this was a game. Three quarters and a few minutes into the fourth. And then what happened? Chris Paul takes over the game. At a certain point, Devin Booker joins him and sort of finishes them off. Phoenix Suns doing Phoenix Suns things at this point in the fourth quarter and proved to, is it yeah. 51? Is it 51 and 0 now? Is it 52 yeah, and 0? Yeah, I think so. I've lost yeah. track, but it's it's remarkable what they continue to do in the fourth. It's it really is crazy. And, and like you said, it was a game. In fact, the Mavs led for the majority of the second quarter uh, and even going into the half. And the Suns just really turned it around. It was an odd, really odd game. I think the refs m- maybe is, is this the worst ref, the worst ref game in yes. the playoffs the Suns have played so far? This has to be right. No doubt. And and I don't even yeah. say that in terms of being sun centric about it. I think it was horrible on both sides. I think yeah. it completely disrupted the flow of the game. The amount of offensive fouls called in particular on both sides was ridiculous. It was yeah. taking year. You made the joke <laughs> that that you were old now. It was taking <laughs> yeah. years off my life. Uh, yeah. Just how brutal the pace of the game was in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. It was terrible. Having said that. There was a lot of fouls, too. Like, there was a lot of legitimate fouls, specifically in the first half, which I think actually benefits the Mavs because um, the Mavs don't play with a lot of flow to their offense anyway, whereas the Suns play with a lot of flow, a lot of ball movement, player movement, stuff like that. And if if anything slows them down, anything stifles that flow to their offense, that impacts them. So I think that actually 
played to the Mavs' favor, at least temporarily. And then the second half was sort of normal. A lot less fouls. I mean, <laughs> everyone would have fouled out if they kept calling the fouls they were. And the Suns got back on track and had a remarkable game. And I think the stretch of the game, which this is just its just something that happens every playoff game that the Suns win now. But the stretch of the game by Chris Paul where he just torched them for like a good four or five minute stretch just essentially ended the game. And, you know, you started this podcast with the... Uh, hot take the, the clickbait uh, clickbaity phrase of saying the Dallas Mavericks have a Luka Doncic problem but that's real I think because he carries such a high load of their offense exactly. in in the game that by the time the fourth quarter comes and he's not a great defender already but by the time the fourth quarter comes and look the other part of it is he's not in great shape so yeah. you know they, yeah. they just start attacking him over and over and over again and, and if Chris Paul is just blowing by you like nothing that's kind of a disaster for them, especially because they need him on the court in order to win. Yeah, so just to be very clear about what happened during that stretch, and this was happening throughout the game, started off more subtle in the first half, but then by the second half, the Suns were doing it as much as they possibly could. Credit to you, by the way, because you you called it perfectly, I think, um, that this would happen. Every time the Suns, no matter who Luka was guarding <laughs> on defense, sometimes yeah. if he was guarding Landry Shamit, Landry Shamit would come and set the screen for Chris Paul. If he was guarding Jay Carter, Mikhail Bridges, those guys would set the screen. On one point, once it got bad enough in the fourth quarter, they hit him on Bismack Biombo. Bismack Biombo came up and set the screen. No matter who yeah. Luka Doncic was guarding, the Suns wanted to make it very clear that he was their pigeon. We've heard that word over and over again since the Pelican series. He was the pigeon in this one, the guy they wanted to target, and they haven't targeted anyone, even Michael Porter Jr. in last year's Nuggets series. I don't think they targeted anyone this bad, or at least if they did, it's just so much more noticeable because he doubles as the offensive hub, the engine to everything uh, that they revolve their entire identity around. And to be clear, I Luka Doncic is still a, a, a sensational player. He's phenomenal. The shot making was self-evident tonight. What he was doing in the first half was amazing. I know he also at the same time has athletic limitations. Obviously, those athletic limitations prevent him from being even at his best. Say he did play himself into great shape. You know, he's not going to be a lockdown terrific wing defender. But the point is, he doesn't have to be. I don't blame Luka Doncic specifically so much for for the Dallas Mavericks failings in the first two games because he's also had to carry their entire offense but I just it's unfortunate almost it's not unfortunate if you're a Suns fan but it's almost unfortunate from a neutral basketball fan perspective what the Dallas Mavericks are doing to this guy because it's so obvious how one-sided this series has been so far in that the the team building from Dallas is an abject failure and they're just completely setting this guy up to fail by having him carry an offensive load where he touches the ball 100 times per game, and he's already not a great athlete to begin with, and then it gets to the fourth quarter, and he's fucking gassed, and it's obvious yeah. that he's gassed, and of course the Suns are going to attack that. The Suns have been surgical about attacking stuff like that all season long. So I don't necessarily blame Luka, but, you know, like, like I, just, I just tweeted out before we hopped on the pod here, as we talk about adjustments going forward, what is the adjustment to that? This is a guy who you've built yeah. your entire offense around. You need him to play 44-plus minutes in a game just to stand a chance offensively. 
If he's also breaking down your entire defensive system, there is no adjustment to that. There is nothing you can do. You've boxed, your, boxed yourself into a corner where you've built a team that is going to be, by definition, mediocre to good but not great. And that's what heliocentrism is. I, I, you know, I think we keep hammering home that point. But it's not that I blame Luka. He does need to add a couple of things to his game if he wants to give the Suns a series here and more long-term if he wants to really win. If he wants to really push it past, you know, first or second round. Yeah. And, you know, as a Suns fan, hopefully he doesn't ultimately because he's just an extremely talented player who, you know, <clears throat> I don't know. It's tough to, to imagine how this works. We, you and I were on the Empire of the Suns podcast with Kellen Olsen recently. I, I recommend checking it out. It was after the first game, but we got into somewhat of a basketball philosophy question. <laughs> Uh, talking about the difference between the Suns and the Mavs. And, you know, I asked the question about who was a better off-the-ball player, Chris Paul or Luka Doncic. And, and you know, it was kind of interesting in this game because there, the stretch where the Mavs really took control of the game, both Chris Paul and Devin Booker were off the floor, which didn't happen at all in the second half for any extended stretch. Thank God. So it was the, the first half when it happened. Yeah. I mean, that was that, like the most obvious. Adjustment. That was a mistake. That yeah. that was clearly a mistake. We can say that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, obvious adjustment Monty made. And I think honestly, I think Monty thinks, <laughs> I think there's a chance that Monty thinks they can win these games without them playing a ton of minutes. And he's going to try to do that if they can, which I think, you know, it's bold. I'll say that. Uh, but in the, when that, when they came out of that stretch, Right, they they checked Chris Paul in, kind of early in the in the second quarter compared to when he normally checks in, and he came on the floor with Cameron Payne, and when it was Cameron Payne and Chris Paul, the Suns kept running their offense through Cameron Payne, with Chris Paul off the ball, and it's just kind of an interesting contrast between the two players because Chris Paul came in and and the Suns played so much better immediately, right? Because there's just a second ball handler that can do things that Landry Shamit can't do, uh, and that's a lot of things. But also, then it comes down to the fourth quarter, and Chris Paul's not exhausted, right? Because he didn't have to run every single pick and roll in that stretch with Cameron Payne. So he came onto the floor, made a difference without touching the ball constantly, and then in the fourth quarter, he wasn't gassed. He was yep. capable of taking the game over and effectively ending it in a five-minute stretch where there was no coming back from that. And I think it was just fascinating you know, that we had that conversation to see this immediately after that where the contrast is just right there, right in front of you for one game. There was literally a play in the early second quarter, and I didn't feel great about this at the time, but that has more to do with my feelings about Landry Shaman and campaign right now than, <laughs> than anything yeah. about how I feel Chris Paul is being used necessarily. But there was one play in that stretch in the early second quarter where the Suns ran their stack, their Spain pick and roll, with Landry Shaman as the back screener, campaign as the point guard, and JaVale McGee as the big man, with Chris Paul there in the corner just as a decoy, just standing there in the corner. And he could have come up, you know, he could have lifted to the wing if they needed to back it back out and kind of pitch it off to him and start another, like, side pick and roll or something. But uh, I I, th I don't remember, to be honest with you, how exactly the possession ended, but I know Chris Paul was not involved because that's all I was thinking about. I was thinking, here you have the greatest point card, of, one of the greatest point cards <laughs> of all time. Yeah. Well, I'm ready decoy. to say, if they win yeah. this year, I'm ready to fucking say it. I don't care. But <laughs> I love <'cause>, that. <laughs> um, one of the greatest point Load in the clip already. One of the greatest playmakers of all time. And you're hiding him as a decoy in the corner 
while other guys in your offense run the main action instead because you're preserving him. It's exactly that, Mike. You are preserving him for when you know you're going to need him in the fourth quarter. Right. It's unique yeah. what they're doing. It, it is unique, mm-hmm. and it, but you can't argue with it. It works. And he just he just goes wild. In this game, Chris Paul ran a bunch of pick and rolls, obviously. Devin Booker ran a bunch of pick and rolls. Mikael Bridges ran pick and rolls. Jay Crowder ran pick and rolls. Cameron Johnson ran pick and rolls. Cameron Payne ran pick and rolls. I mean, just just watching the difference in these two teams, just from that perspective alone, where Luca runs a thousand, and you know Brunson every once in a while maybe Spencer Dinwiddie, but really not really. Mm. Like most of Spencer Dinwiddie's damage that he did in this game was attacking closeouts on the catch or just firing up shots at the end of the shot clock because he got that hot potato. You know, the difference is the Suns have everyone involved. And I think when everyone's involved, it makes a massive difference offensively. And I think it makes a massive difference defensively because everyone feels like they have a say in what happens in the game. It's a philosophical thing. And that that was a massive difference. By the way, let's give a shout out right now to Jay Crowder, who literally was leading the team in scoring like a quarter and a half, half into the game. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. he scored. I don't know if he scored in the second half. He finished with 15 points. I can't remember. Didn't he have 15 in the first? <laughs> yeah, so I don't, think he, I don't think he scored. But I definitely yeah. want, I wanted to give a shout out to both because him and Bridges combined for nine assists. And that's exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I mean, I thought both of them were absolutely terrific tonight at you know whether it was initial actions in the offense but more so often catching on closeouts and then attacking on closeouts without just settling for spot up jumpers that's nothing unusual out of them you know if you've been watching them all season at this point but i thought they really kicked it up to another level tonight well, and uh, and uh, yeah another, they were great another part of that which i think was a fascinating adjustment for monty williams and the suns in this game is that whether or not the mavericks had a center in the game whether or not they did or didn't. They were using screeners who were not the center. They were using the dunker spot, right? They were just putting Biombo in the dunker spot. They were putting JaVale McGee in the dunker spot. Often, if DeAndre Ayton was in the game, it was Ayton screening in that case. But in this game, Jay Crowder was screening, catching the ball in the middle of the floor, and uh, making assists. He was yeah. playing, I, I called him Jamon Green again. Yeah. Uh, Mikael Bridges, same thing. And, and what it often was at times too was if the trap was coming at Chris Paul when it most most of the time it was Chris Paul that was being trapped in this game uh, if it was a big screening he would swing it to the wing whether it be Mikel Bridges or Jay Crowder they would attack off that position and then just find the assist or it was the other guy screening and I think what was fascinating to me is for the Suns to get out of their normal offensive mode which is essentially putting the big on the other team in the worst possible position in a pick and roll to guard as many actions as possible. And instead, switch that over to whoever the pigeon was on defense for the other team, which in this game, Luka Doncic most often. And at times it was Davis Bertans, for example, even Spencer Dinwiddie. Bertans actually had, I think, their highest plus minus in this game. So you better be careful about what you say, <laughs> because that's how brutal that early second quarter stretch was. Uh, with but to, all the to flip the yeah. to flip the screener, I think is just it's a big change for the Suns because look, even just Landry Shamit screening over and over and over again to get the switch is something we've been asking for the entire time Landry Shamit's been on the team, mm. and they saved it for the playoffs 
to, to attack the pigeon in isolation. But I'm, I just think it's interesting for them to do that. I'm glad they saved that one too. You know, like uh, when, yeah. we, when we did our podcast with Kellen, it was only yesterday, but he was theorizing that Monty had some tricks up his sleeve that he didn't want to reveal yet. And I think that was one of those things that none of us foresaw, a, you know, a Landry Shamit screening <laughs> extravaganza in game two. We didn't, it, it just didn't come to mind. It wasn't something that I think has ever been on the table. So, you know, and, and, you know, maybe that relates back to some of those weird ass lineups we, we saw in this game that objectively didn't really work <laughs> at the beginning of the game anyway, but then it didn't matter mm-hmm. because they blew it open. Just kind of like you said, I guess Monty thinks that he can afford to experiment with this team and now that he's got a 2-0 lead in the series i have a feeling he'll be even more uh emboldened to do that i don't know so you know i don't think it's just going to be uh oh they're really pressuring us we have to play chris paul and devin booker 42 minutes from here on out and stick with what stick with what's always been best for us he's gonna he Mm -hmm. might continue to do some weird stuff uh and i don't know where the next turn is going to be exactly yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if when because like Aiton was effectively taken out of the game in this game by the refs. I'll just say it like that because a lot of the calls on Aiton, the elbow was an elbow. I understand why they called that call the way it, way it happened, and I don't think it was intentional in any way by DeAndre Aiton. But like the rest of the calls, I think there were some questionable ones in there for DeAndre Aiton, and you know, so he was effectively taken out of the game by the refs, and I don't blame him to be honest for any of that. I think. There are times when you just, that happens. Playoffs or whenever, that just can happen. If you get in foul trouble, you never get your rhythm going. It's tough to get going offensively. It is what it is. But what that what happened in that case is that Biombo came in. First of all, Biombo had a great game, I think. Just just did well. And, shout you know, the Suns put him out on, yeah, the Suns put him out out. on an island against Luka more yep. than once. And it's not that he was great in that scenario, but he held his own. And then, of course, JaVale, I think, had, I think, a much better game than I could even picture him having in this game after what we saw in the last game. But my point is, it'll be interesting to see once DeAndre Ayton is back, who is the best screener on the, t- on the team by a, a, a large amount, mm-hmm. um, if they continue to attack the way they're attacking with non-big screening with DeAndre Ayton in the dunker spot once he plays more minutes because he only had, I think, 18 minutes in this game, a little over 18 minutes. So, if you know, if he comes back, I wonder if they're going to do that again. I'd like to yeah. see it, actually. I thought, you know, they played a mostly traditional game with DA in the first half. He got to his hook a couple of times. Actually, the couple of shots that he made were, like, insane degrees of difficulty <laughs> tonight. Yeah. Even more so than usual. I, I remember one particular, like, kind of spinning hook that I was like, oh, my God. But on the whole, you know, he had some turnovers in there, too. Combined that with the foul trouble was not a great game. Biz... 18 minutes, four for four shooting, nine points, three rebounds, uh, a block. The stat line isn't the big thing here. He was a plus 12, but it's more so just the fact that he was available. He switched out onto Luka as much as he did, exactly like you're talking about, which forced Luka into taking more step-back threes. And guess what? Luka is such an amazing offensive player that tonight he hit those step-back threes anyway. It didn't matter. But just the fact that Biz was a body in front of him, like when it's JaVale out there, if they get a switch onto JaVale, which the Suns will, try, first of all, try to prevent as much as possible JaVale switching onto Luka, but Luka's attacking that. That is, like, he, he knows that JaVale, for the, for the one time, of course, that JaVale stripped him and got him in game one. But even despite that, he's going to atta- keep attacking JaVale because he knows that JaVale doesn't necessarily have the best control over where all of his noodles are flying uh, at all times. His limbs. <laughs> Thank you.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, man, there was that one possession where everything was looking crisp defensively. All kinds of rotations. They they started trapping Luka in this game, by the way, which I think was smart because – they really they really zone up well when they trap, and I think if it's Mikael being the second guy in the trap, he's so good at rotating back out to another player in like the, a fraction of a second that I think they can afford to trap Luca when he's really getting hot. And <laughs> they were flying all over the court. Aiton's in foul trouble. Everyone's playing well, including JaVale McGee. And then at the end of the possession, JaVale McGee just tackles. I think it was Dov- or Kleber or Bertans or somebody. And they ended up getting a four-point play. And yeah, I honestly silliness. thought at the silliness on the continuation call there, by the way. Yeah, that yes, that was bizarre. Um, but yeah, at, at that point, I thought this could be one of those plays that we look back on as a turning point of the game if the Mavs have a go on a run. Go here. on a run, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then we know what happened. Chris Paul <laughs> did the Chris Paul thing, but I still think Javale was pretty good. You know, Kleba Kleba was effectively ineffective. <laughs> in this game. Yeah, JaVale, JaVale uh, wasn't yeah. bad. It's just fundamentally I wanted to point out the difference between JaVale, if you're a guard, you attack him because you know you can get him into foul trouble, and that was proved tonight. He had five fouls in ten minutes. Uh, some of them were offensive, obviously. But if it's Biz, you know he's going to play you straight up. And so even if you are going to rely on your step-back three, even if it's a night like tonight where you hit the step-back threes, just fundamentally denying the Mavs that extra comfort level uh, in generating penetration and forcing your defense into rotation, that's a good thing for the Suns. And so I thought Biz had a really good game, um, you know, in a sort of process over result type way of analyzing it. Uh, because at the end of the day, Mike, you know, the Mavs in this game shot 46% from the field as a team. They shot 42% from deep again, 17 of 41, and 83% from the free throw line. They had a good shooting game. The Suns had a great shooting game. They shot over 50% from deep. But... If you get Luka Doncic shooting well over 50% from the field, he scores 35 points with 7 assists, your team as a whole shoots 40% from deep, and you get blown out, 
that's not very good. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't look very good. That's like, not very good. Yeah, it doesn't look very good, man. I mean, where's I, I got, the where's the, where's the formula to winning there? You know what I mean? Like, I got, I got a stat for you. You got to hear this one. Yeah, go for it. The Suns. This is from Haralabas Vulgaris, who is tweeting about the game today. The Suns went after Luka Doncic fifty times as a screen defender. Fifty. That's fucking absurd. And scored. 1.72 points oh my per God. chance in those 50 plays, which would I, I I don't even know how to describe how good that is. That it's like effectively shooting 85 percent. Those <laughs> are literal on two layups. point shots. Those are literal yeah. layups every time. Yeah. So th- that's that's one of those stats where it's like. I mean, you're exactly right because what I'm do they do? Tr- the, the one thing they did is, is is switch to a zone, and you know that's not. Look, if a team plays a zone for an extended period in the playoffs, it means they're done. Usually, Mike, like that's not something you can do for extended stretches. Mike, I've always considered myself. I'm a fan, of course. We host uh-huh. a fan podcast, but I, I try to be a level-headed person. I always try and give props to to the opposing team when I think they are doing something right. I'm trying hard to not let this one game influence my <laughs> overall opinion of Luka Doncic this much. But if this continues to be the story for the rest of the series as well, I mean, I went into the series saying he was definitely a top five player in the NBA. And, and if this continues to be a narrative, I don't know, man. I mean, that that's so <laughs> bad. That's, that's it's, so, I've never seen anything like that. That's, that's, the criticism that people give Trey Young all the time, right? Because he's like five foot seven and one hundred forty pounds, right? And usually they don't—they're not willing to say that about bigger players, even if they don't necessarily have the lateral foot speed, because there's just this this implicit assumption uh, that bigger players are longer and therefore more switchable. But if the Suns continue to go after Luca like this, I mean, if they look make him look that bad. We gotta have a conversation. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I'll say one thing: stats are broken. Stats are 100% broken. The way that this so, is exactly why they're broken. Exactly. Because a guy mm-hmm. can go out, a guy can average 30, 10, and 10 in the heliocentric approach and win the goddamn MVP trophy. Mm-hmm. And then go and get, if you're Nikola Jokic last year, you go and get swept by Phoenix in the second round. I don't blame Jokic for that. Again, I blame the team building. And now Luca's well on his way. Yeah. So the Mavs can make the adjustments. They can still give us a hell of a series here. But. They need to make those adjustments because the math so far is not in their favor. And the other part of it is that box scores still feed into advanced stats. So Luka's advanced stats will just soar. Same with Nikola Jokic. All, all, all of these guys that that do that play this I'm the only person that's allowed to do everything, make every decision type of basketball, which I yeah, think the do. Nuggets do a better job of not doing that than the Mavericks for the record. I think it's drastically different. But James Harden, I think, was the best example. And I think Luka, I'm sorry, uh, Russell Westbrook, now I'm confusing them. But Russell Westbrook in his MVP year, I think that was the beginning of the end for advanced stats in a lot of ways and, and just sort of the heliocentric approach. But on the other end of the floor, defensively, by the yeah. way, Haralabos just tweeting out He's been a- stuff, stats from Second Spectrum. So we finally have a Second Spectrum uh, or, yeah, a Second Spectrum source here. If Haralabos is just going to tweet out the stats for us, uh, they're all public. Right, but right, right. Booker? Devin Booker held Jalen Brunson, this is credit for you, by the way, to 0.22 on 20. So 0.22 points per touch, basically. Points per shot, points per chance, whatever you want to call it. On 20 touches, uh, which is nine chance-ending possessions. 
And then he had 30 and they had 30 points on 21 possessions on offense. By the way, 30 points on 21 possessions for Devin Booker is so perfectly Devin Booker compared to Luka Doncic. 30 points on 21 possessions is the what the guy who is the leading points per touch player in the NBA does where he doesn't exhaust himself by dribbling a thousand times every single game and is able to do things like conserve energy no, and then hit and a bunch of threes at the end of the game to even yeah. push the lead further. And when, you know, you need buckets in the fourth quarter, the game hasn't been entirely blown open yet, but so you've got Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the floor at the same time. What do you do? You run them around screens and get Chris Paul to generate that assist, get a good pass for Booker and, and run other decoy actions around it. But the point is you have sets that optimize both of your star players at once. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I feel like the rest of the league has gone mad. I don't know. I just, I hope, you know, if if the, if the Suns win, if the Suns win this series, and we're not guaranteeing anything tonight because of 2-0, I mean, we've seen the Suns be up 2-0 and then lose a series before. But if the Suns do win this series, I just hope there's there's some discussion here about the legacy of what, you know, these GMs who are destroying their uh, their team's abilities, literally with the perfect strategy to coast to a fifth through eighth seed if you'd like to, and then, you know, flame out in the playoffs. I just, I mean, forgive me for making this another, you know, question about the philosophy of, of team building in basketball as a whole. But I think so much of that credit of course goes to the team building, but to have a coach that is able to convince guys to buy into a singular vision that ultimately impacts everyone it matters a lot, and I think that's actually really, really, really difficult, especially when you have players that are superstar level players. And it's honestly, it's the it's the case for Devin Booker being an MVP candidate, uh, because being able to scale back and not dribble the ball a thousand times a game in order to take as many shots as you want yeah. is a skill too. And, and, and you know, it's not it's not a skill in that the way that people say Kyrie's the most skilled player in the league because he has five different crossovers that he can use in a single possession. Yeah, but it's a skill in, in by the and way, of itself. By the way, I'm certain that there are no Mavs fans listening to this because, of course, they wouldn't. But I'm going to pretend that there's like an invisible pretend Mavs fan out there who's listening to this who might be questioning the fact that, you know, we're going after the Mavs offensive approach this hard versus what the Suns are doing and saying, well, the Suns have Chris Paul. And it's just not reasonable to expect yeah. every team to have Chris fucking Paul, who I just called one of the greatest point guards in history. That's absolutely true. But what you're doing right now is... Uh, Jalen Brunson has been a complete non-factor through the first two games, but at the same time, this was a guy who scored 28 points per game in the first series, granted against a much worse Utah defense, but I just, I have to believe, Dinwiddie too, who had a fantastic second half to the season, I have to believe that if Luka worked on his ability as a screener, created some advanced actions that he could run in tandem with a Jalen Brunson or a Spencer Dinwiddie and then break the defense down in the short roll or something. You know, he's not exactly like an off-ball shooter type like Devin Booker is, but there has to be a way. You have to find a way to optimize these guys together because what you're doing right now where they just dribble the air out of the ball, it does not work, and it will leave you disappointed at the end of the day. It just will. Yeah, and I hope they continue to do it. (laughs) At least... Uh, for a few more games if the Suns can keep up what they're doing because ultimately, you know, I'll I'll just take it back to the to the playoff preview that we recorded. But once again, I, I talked about it, this being the offensive execution series compared to the 
last series, which was like this sort of rock fight and just teams battling on the boards and, and, you know, the Suns doing everything that was sort of out of their comfort zone. The way that this series is, is the offensive execution series benefits the Suns if they continue to play that they're doing. And they, and, and ultimately they've played really well. They're hitting a lot of shots, right? Guys are getting the types of shots that they like. And, you know, I think the point you made about the passes is something that is, was kind of surprising. And with Jay Crowder having three assists and Mikael Bridges having six assists, but ultimately the Mavs are not rotating well. And like Mikael Bridges is just, yeah, he's just the, I call it, you know what I call it. I call it the Jared Dudley pass. (laughs) You just drive on a guy as if you're going to slam it. Jared Dudley can't jump. So he would just dump it off to the big under the rim and they'd have a wide open dunk. And that was Jay tonight, too, because he a, a couple of his assists, I think, were both to McGee. And both times it was drive it. Obviously, he's not going to dunk it in anyone's face either. So he fakes like he was going to go for the floater because that's his thing. He gets into the 10-foot range. He's got the floater. Defense comes up, dump off pass to McGee or whoever was there. And that's how he got his as well. Just really easy basketball from both of them. Zone potential change for the next game. Maybe they go to more zone. I can't. I can't imagine that being zone's not a sustainable strategy over a full game against an NBA level offense. It's. I'm sorry. This might be the not. hardest. This might be the hardest game to try and come up with potential adjustments from the Mavericks. Honestly, I can't think of anything that they could do to fix this problem. I mean, they can definitely look. At the end of the day, the Suns shot 65 percent for the field. They shot 52 percent from deep, in particular. If the Suns have a game where they shoot 30% from deep, you know, they, yeah, of course they can lose. And Luka goes so off. So hope of the Suns miss. That's, that's, that's their best adjustment they can I, come up I, with. I, I'm just being honest. I can't, like, rotation-wise, what if they, you know, the, Dwight Powell as your starting center is not working. He's, he's your traditional big. Doesn't work. They try and space out with Kleba. Kleba's not the issue, but it's more so the other guys, are, you know, who they have around. Like if they play Kleba and yeah. Davis Bertans together at the four it, and five, great. You you space the floor, you know. And, and this is where I say, you know, Luca's Luca has been disappointing defensively. It's not Luca's fault when he switches out onto a guy, and you know he concedes the initial the initial penetration, but then the guys he has. To back him up are Davis Bertans and Maxi Kleba to protect the rim. You know, like there's layers to this. There's layers of badness built within here. And then the other thing they can do, of course, is go to Dorian Finney-Smith. It hasn't worked so far, but they've done it for five or six minutes a game. Well, that's what's interesting is I think there's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that both Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith were in foul trouble in back-to-back games because they're just not well-suited to guard the Suns' best players. You know, and nobody really is, but like... Like, I don't know, Drew Holiday is a good example of somebody who is well-suited, and and neither of those guys are that kind of defender. Reggie Bullock is just like a high-effort defender. He's not a great defender. He just tries really hard, which is credit to him because he's guarding Chris Paul for extended stretches of the game. And Dorian Finney-Smith is just, he's Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, he's a good defender. He's kind of Jay Crowder-esque in the way that he defends. I would say strong, long, relatively tall for the guys he guards but not able to move his feet as uh, well enough to stay out of foul trouble against those guys. So, you know, if they find a way to do that, those guys can stay on the floor for long stretches. Maybe that would help them a little bit. We know how it is. You go home, role players shoot better. So maybe, maybe somebody like, 
Reggie Bullock can hit more threes. You know, they just had a good Davis Bertans game as far as shooting. So it's hard to say that that's going to flip anything. But maybe Davis Bertans hits four or five threes in this game. And and maybe Jalen Brunson finally gets it going. I think that's their best options. It's not necessarily schematic changes at this point that I could really see. But is there anything else that stands out to you that that they could try? Nope. (laughs) Let's talk about the most important thing. I'm sorry. I just, yeah. That this is where we're we're at with this series right now. If I'm kid, I don't even know. Let's talk about the most important thing then. Ish Wainwright got twice as many minutes. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. As Tory Craig. I'm happy for Ish Wainwright, who I do like. He's Ish he's ahead of he's ahead of Craig in the rotation. The minutes with Ish did not look good, but he, it's clear that he's ahead of uh, Craig in the rotation at least for this game. I'm not sure if that's something that's going to happen in the future. He kind of checked in for the first time during the barrage of offensive fouls. He checked in, committed an offensive was the worst foul, time. and yeah. then went straight to the bench. Yeah, it was the <laughs> worst time to check in because it's like, all right, well, this game is already off the rails, and Ish Wainwright is not... Like, you know, refs tend to give guys the benefit of the doubt that they know, and they don't know Ish, who's just a football player on the, on the court at all times. But, yeah, I think we could see a little bit more of Ish at some point. He even checked in at center during that there specific was, stretch. So I do, I do think we got one of the calls of the, and it was against the Suns, a highlight against the Suns. But it was one of the calls of the night from Kevin Harlan, who Ish Wainwright checks into the game. Uh, instantly they talk <laughs> yeah, about the facts. You know what I'm talking about. Instantly he they talk about football at Baylor. <laughs> instantly they talk about the fact that he played football at Baylor while he's guarding Luka Doncic on a switch. Mm-hmm. Luka gets the switch. He steps back. He hits the three, and Harlan goes. It doesn't matter where he played football. And I was like, "That's uh, that's a great that's a great call." <laughs> so. He's great, but man, Reggie, Reggie. Miller. Oh man, is Reggie. so bad. <laughs> he's so bad, and it's not even just that he's like annoying, which he is, but the fact that he never analyzes the game is bizarre. You know, there's so much to talk about in this game in particular. He got it. He got yeah. it a couple. He got it a couple of times when he finally started calling out Luka Doncic being targeted after yeah, like did. the sixth or seventh time. Okay, okay, but he got he got he <laughs> it got happened there. fifty times in this game. We just <laughs> read the stat off. He got there eventually, is what I mean. He got there eventually. It was the key narrative of the game, and he got it right eventually. But yeah, yeah, at, there was a certain point in like the third or fourth quarter where Luka was making shots, and he, and Reggie was just like, "He's not tired. He's not tired." <laughs> the thing the thing that what i realize watching games like this is that oftentimes people will just repeat what reggie miller says online afterwards people who don't fully understand the game because they're just learning from that right they're seeing what they point out and they don't really see the game you know fully or clearly that's why i'm so grateful for people like nikaias or steve jones like those guys who have these massive platforms at this point and break down the game at such an elite level and actually are able to explain it to, to people uh, at a really high level. Nikias actually just wrote about the Chris Paul, Deandre Ayton pick and roll. I highly recommend reading that if you haven't already, but yeah, it was just really bad hearing Reggie Miller tonight, but uh, that's all I got for now. Sam, you got anything else before we go? No, let's wrap it up and uh, get ready for game three on this is for you. What is it? Friday? On, what? Friday? On oh, on playback. On playback. Oh we, I was you. trying to set I'm you so up for the plug, now. man. <laughs> yes. We're doing game three. First game on the road on playback for our patrons. If you want to watch it, we it's been very fun. Just join us on our Patreon. Patreon 
dot com slash the timeline. You could join for as low as like three dollars a month if you want to just watch these games uh, with us during the playoffs. Especially if you have honestly for for those listening, if you live somewhere where you have no friends that are Suns fans, that's what these are for. I think that the people that have messaged us thanking us for these have been people like that. So I highly recommend joining us on Friday. We'll stream that one. We'll give you analysis live. And for everyone else, we'll still be back with a podcast after that game. We appreciate you guys, and we'll be back very soon. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.